0: Hello, Bleeding Green
1: Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to go inside the NFC East every week. We're going to talk to a newsmaker, or we're going to talk to someone who covers one of the teams inside the NFC East to give you a a little bit of an insight into what their plans are here this offseason, whether it be the draft, whether it be free agency. And we're going to look at the Washington Redskins this week because they are a very interesting team they have the number two overall pick in the draft Uh, they have a a very interesting decision to make with that pick and they're going to be active in free agency as well as they try to give their young quarterback Dwayne Haskins some toys to play with and I'm also going to give you some thoughts on the latest Eagles news and notes coming up uh, in just a few minutes as well joining me is Mark Bullock Washington Redskins writer for The Athletic. Uh, Mark's going to talk to us about what's going on with his football team. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. Mark, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, and, and understand when I say enemy, it's in love, right? I mean, <laughs> we're not going at it, but I think the Redskins are so interesting, and I'm based out of the Washington D.C. area, as, as most of the listeners uh, to this podcast know, and so I listen to a lot of Washington talk radio. I'm I, I kind of like I think the the big issue that Washington sports talk radio is dealing with right now is what the Redskins are going to do with the number two overall pick. I mean, it is a highly valued pick. There's a guy right there that they could take in, in Chase Young. I mean, is amazing edge rusher from Ohio State. Looks like a guy who could dominate the NFL for years and years and years. But I know there is an argument, and I've seen it. It seems to me like it's it's pretty much split right down the middle, whether the Redskins should keep that pick or whether they should deal it. I was kind of curious what you thought about what Washington should do with number two overall.
2: Yeah, I'm still kind of a little bit on the fence about it. Um my feeling all along has been that I would probably stand at two and take Chase Young and, and say, We we're taking this amazing pass rusher, we are capping off that defensive line, uh, hoping that uh Chase Young can have the same impact for the likes of Jonathan Allen, Daron Payne, Montez Sweat that, that Nick Bosa had in San Francisco with um with Eric Armstead and Um, that whole defensive line over there d forward and what have you so i I, i've been feeling that is the way i would lean for the most part but that doesn't mean i wouldn't listen to offers and i think there is a price point at which point you go okay that's too good to turn down Um, i'm not sure personally yet exactly where where that is i don't know whether i say is it an rg3-esque trade where i go okay fine I'll, i'll i'll trade back for that many picks because it's potentially franchise altering is it more than that is it slightly less than that I'm, I'm not 100% sure exactly what that price point is but I think there is a price at which point you trade in unless you get to that exact price I, I would stand there and take Chase Young and be very very happy about it
1: and certainly there's a scenario you know where you know maybe you don't only move back one spot maybe the Lions do want to move on from from Matthew Stafford and they they want to make sure that they grab Tua or something like that and you're you, you you fall back one spot. I think most of the scenarios out there have the Dolphins as potentially moving up from five uh, to number two. And in that scenario, you, Chase Young is probably gone by the time you get to number five, because um, uh, certainly the, the Giants don't need a quarterback. And, and if the Lions aren't the ones moving up, they're going to stick with Matthew Stafford, so they probably take Chase Young at that point. So I was also wondering whether or the fa- whether or not the fact Quentin Dunbar what- has asked to be traded, whether that might factor into things. Because if you're if you're talking about losing a guy like Quentin Dunbar, well now you have you have a need in the secondary as well as the obvious need that you could get filled at at, at pass rusher. And so moving down to five maybe gets you another second round pick that you could use on another need like that.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think. I don't think the Dunbar thing will totally impact it. Um, I, I think that one is a case of Dunbar seemed to walk it back a little bit from that trade request. Um, he definitely did request a trade and, and what have you the other night. Um, and then mm. the next day, he kind of saw the backlash that was happening and, and kind of walked it back and was more in the lines of, I just want to be heard and, and recognized and and see where I stand with the new coaching staff because I hadn't heard from them yet. So I don't necessarily think he's going to get traded because he's on an affordable contract and he's a decent player that can be a contributor. So I, I don't think that that trade would materialize. Um, but in in an event that he would, it would open up a hole at corner. They already have a hole at corner. Trading back would certainly allow them to fill more holes. I'm kind of of the philosophy you don't necessarily draft to fill needs. You kind of draft to draft the best possible players, and if you're in that kind of philosophy, you want to take Chase Young because he's the best player in the draft. So I think there is certainly a line of thinking you could trade back it and try to fill as many needs. I mean, if you get, a, as we say, the Dolphins trading up and offering all three of their first round pick, you could get a hell of a lot from that. That'd
1: be hard to turn down, man. <laughs> that, that would be
2: extremely hard to turn down. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether the Dolphins would do that. And I think the scenario that you mentioned with the Lions, if, if they really are kind of, looking at Tua then that would be an ideal scenario for the Redskins being able to trade back one spot being able to add one or two more picks from that even if they're a little bit later picks because it's only one spot then you're trading back one spot adding picks and you still get Chase Young I think that's an ideal scenario for them but otherwise I I still think the most likely possibilities that they stay at two and, and take Chase Young.
1: And, and I guess the the idea of the Lions moving up a spot, knowing that Washington doesn't need a quarterback, they probably just take their chances. right? I mean, it, the more I think about it, why would Detroit move up a spot? Because they know that Washington's not going to take Tua. They're not going to take a quarterback after after just. Drafting Dwayne Haskins the year before. So the motivation for Detroit to move up a spot as i as I think about it more, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They probably just t- sit tight where they are. So it's more likely the Dolphins moving up from five to to move up to that number two overall. I am curious what you think about what Washington would do uh, with their day two picks because I know you just said I'm uh, drafting for need doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the draft a lot of times, unless maybe you're a a young player or two away, but Washington has a lot of work to do this off season. Kind of curious where you see them, where you hear them going with their day two picks this year.
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the biggest issue for them is that they don't have the second round pick because in the, um, they traded that away from Montez sweat last year. That is one of the biggest reason people are thinking about trading back from number two um, and, and passing on chase young is to add more picks and, And fill that second round hole um they'd love to add a second round pick and and look to get maybe a a, a tight end or um a safety or or possibly even some offensive line depth um depending on you know what happens with trent williams and brandon sheriff it it will a lot will depend on and on what they target in free agency and, and what they what holes they can fill in free agency because at the moment it's a roster that there's so many questions on on their own players um as i say Trent Williams, we're not sure if he's going to be back. Brandon mm-hmm. Sheriff, we're not sure if he's going to be back. If those two are gone, then suddenly you've got two huge holes on the offensive line and you need a left tackle, and you need a guard. Yeah. But if, if those two come back, then your offensive line looks a little bit better and, and you can focus on kind of skill positions where you, you need a, a tight end to give Haskins a security blanket. You need a, a wide receiver probably to round out the receiver core. Um, and then mm-hmm. obviously defense, you need... They need a safety. Monte Nicholson at free safety is not the answer. They need someone that can partner with Landon Collins. And then we talked about corner being in need already, having released Josh Norman and there's uncertainty with Quinton Dunbar. Then they, they need a, a corner or possibly two as well. So they have plenty of needs. Um, I, I think in an ideal world, it seems like that, Tight end class isn't necessarily the strongest, but it's it's one that seems to be the kind of value is around about that third round range, the early third round. Um, so I think in an ideal world, they'll, they'll, they'd they stick it to draft Chase Young and possibly land a, a solid
1: tight end that could contribute in both the run and passing one of the areas they they did get right last year was wide receiver McLaren and Sims are two really good young players obviously they they let Paul Richardson Jr go this week um and you mentioned Josh Norman so definitely some some hole uh, at least one hole to fill at wide receiver and and a secondary that's going to need some revamping but we're talking about about all this and and the team still does not have a general manager i mean they're going getting ready to engage in free agency and in the draft and uh wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that washington it seems like they're about to you know go through all this without somebody at least without a a person with the title of gm next to their name at the moment so how big a hindrance is is it or is this just kind of how it would have gone anyway even if, if bruce allen was there I don't think it's a huge hindrance but what they've done
2: is they have a, a young guy in the front office Kyle Smith who's the son of former Chargers GM AJ Smith um, and he's run the draft the past few years and then they've had a pretty successful draft the past two or three years that he's been running it they think he's a young up-and-comer in the in the front office and he was promoted to uh, director of player personnel I believe uh, this offseason under Ron Rivera and it seems to be kind of a a three-month trial period where he's essentially the GM without the title um, and they'll see how he meshes with Rivera through free agency in the draft and if that all goes well then he probably becomes the GM after the draft. Uh, uh, While they don't officially have a GM it's going to be a thing where Rivera has kind of the overall power and he's not going to report to any GM but the GM role will be filled by Kyle Smith as he kind of looks to build the roster and add uh, talent to, to give Rivera the, the resources he needs to build a winning
1: team. You, you talk about Rivera and obviously bringing him in as head coach. Uh, there's certainly a, a cachet that goes with his name among, among players in the league. And uh, last week you mentioned the fact, uh, Trent Williams, there's still some uncertainty over his future with the organization. It seemed last year like there'd no way, there was no way he'd ever wear a, a Washington Redskins uniform again. But there was reporting that he met with Ron Rivera, and I guess the I guess the speculation is that there's a possibility that that Williams could return in in 2020. What do you What do you think the odds of that are?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's increasingly likely. The main issues he had was he had a breakdown in trust with the medical team um, and the medical right. staff um, because of uh, an undiagnosed tumor that he had. You know, that would cause anyone to distrust a a medical team. (laughs) He that was his main issue, but he obviously had a breakdown in a relationship with Bruce Allen. But Dan Snyder made big sweeping changes this season, um, and and he got rid of Bruce Allen, obviously. He got rid of Larry Hess, who was the head trainer, who's been there for sixteen or so seasons. Um and and he was one of supposedly one of Dan Snyder's favourite people in the building and then that's why he'd stayed there for so long. So um, they've managed to clear out the problem people within the organization that, that Trent Williams didn't like um, and, and had issues with. So that clears the way for a potential return. Now, Williams still has an issue with the contract um, because he's going into the final year of his deal and he has no guaranteed money. He still wants them to do a new contract. Um, I don't know whether it would be. Upping the guarantees in his current contract, or whether he'd be wanting an extension of a two or three year deal where he would get bigger guarantees. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how they'll sort that out, whether they manage to do kind of a, a two or three year extension and, and up the guarantees, and, and that's kind of enough for him, or whether he's going to say, I'm still one of the best left tackles in football. You better pay me as one of the best left tackles right. in football um, right. and, and try to reset the market at age. Uh, he'll be going into 30, Yeah, I think he'll be 32 at some point in this season. So um, it, it's not necessarily the most wise investment, but with Rivera's kind of reputation for being a, a, a good players coach and, and really getting his players to respect him. He, he reached out to Trent Williams and it seems like they're open to doing some sort of a negotiation to get him to return. So I, I tend to lean on the side. I think it's likely to happen, but the issue is the contract and if they can get that sorted out then i think he'll be back in the building.
1: We're talking about contracts and and we've talked a lot about the draft and obviously with a rebuilding team like Washington they they need draft picks and they need to they need to invest in the draft but um, i saw some promising things from Washington at least in the two games they played against the Eagles but i i'm again living in the Washington area i was i had to watch a lot of Washington games cuz that's what was on tv and you know there were some games where it was it was as ugly as could be but that's to be expected when Dwayne Haskins is kind Kind of learning on the job. What did you see from him in his rookie season uh, that you liked, and, and and that you felt like he needs the most work on? What's your confidence level in him as the franchise quarterback moving forward, Mark?
2: Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. I, I quite liked him coming out of the draft. I, I didn't think he was. I I still had Kyler Murray ranked above him because I thought Kyler Murray was something special. But I thought Haskins certainly had some good traits. His best stuff was how quickly he could process information at the line of scrimmage and work through his reads and get the ball out of his hands quickly. Now, he took a while to get used to the system. He never had to call plays um, and certainly didn't have kind of wordy play calls that are in a West Coast often in college. So he he, he took a while to get his head around that and, and really adjust to how the plays were called um, and all the wordy te- terminology and stuff. And that kind of set him back quite a way. And so he, he obviously didn't start the season. Um, he, he was on the bench. He didn't necessarily mesh with the coaching staff. It it wasn't the best situation for him because he had Bruce Allen and Jay Gruden both needing to make the playoffs to keep their jobs. Um, And in that kind of situation, uh, a head coach never wants to play a rookie quarterback. Right. It it was not a very good situation that they set either Gruden or Haskins up for. Um, but once Gruden was fired and they let Kevin O'Connell take over the offense and, and O'Connell kind of really went to Haskins and tried to build the offense around him and, and really was focused on his development, that's when we saw Haskins come on pretty well down at the end of the year. And we saw him do the things that he did well in college, where he was able to process information quickly. He was able to get the ball out of his hands and to his playmakers. Um, and, and you saw the likes of Terry McLaurin, his, his college teammate, thrive with that. I think there is reason to be optimistic that he can be the guy of the future. It is kind of interesting They they haven't, the new regime have not really fully committed to him yet. You you kind of would expect a new head coach to come in and say, "Yeah, he's our guy. We're really excited about him, and we're going forward with him." And Rivera hasn't done that yet. Um, hmm. There's a, he has a bit of a reputation, Haskins, for. Not necessarily putting in the work required to to be an NFL starter. Um, and, yeah, the, and
1: the selfie thing after his first win definitely pops to mind. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, um, that a lot of people have said that you know he doesn't study enough film. He doesn't. He's not in the building enough. The theme from Rivera has been kind of challenging him to show that he is worthy of being the guy by you know being in the building and studying film and and doing the work that you need to do. And kind of just growing up into a professional, you know, if he buys in and and he does that, I I think then he can work on a couple of floors. And, you know, he has issues with footwork. His footwork can be very, very sloppy at times that needs to be cleaned up. But I don't think it's something that can't be cleaned up. It just requires the work to be put in. And I mean, I can't speak to it personally. I I, I don't know Haskins. I'm, I'm not in the building. So I don't know mm-hmm. if he's someone that is putting in the work or isn't. I know there are certain players that will say he is. And I know there are certain sources that will say he isn't. So um, I, I think so far Rivera's kind of put that challenge out to him. And, and we'll see probably in free agency whether they what kind of quarterback they sign to back him up. If they sign a guy that you know could challenge him for a starting role, that suggests that he's not quite put in the work that Rivera wants. But if they if they sign a guy that is like a clear backup, then clearly leaning towards yeah you know, he's he's putting in the work and we're comfortable with him being the guy going forward.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Free agency was my my last question here for you, but I mean obviously there's a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's available and he's he's looking for a starting opportunity or, and who knows what kind of a Scenario: A guy like Marcus Mariota uh, is is wanting to to go to, and those guys have their drawbacks as well. But yeah, with the Alex Smith still seemingly like he's not going to be ready to go uh, by the start of next year, if at all ever, yeah. um, that will be an interesting decision uh, Washington makes here in free agency. And we're getting, you know, it's it's getting started here, and you know, it's the Washington has some needs, and they're going to fill a lot of those needs in the draft. But um, I one of the rumors this week was the possibility of Greg Olson coming to to Washington, and you mentioned the fact that they might be looking at tight end to, to try and uh, maybe add something like that in the third round, but uh, free agency might be getting a veteran tight end like an Olson uh, might be the best thing for Haskins as well. Give it, give him a, uh, a security blanket, uh, as it were. And so, what are you th- what are you hearing about Washington's plans for for free agency uh, players or positions they might be targeting there? The biggest question, as I say, is
2: going into it is whether they have trent williams in the building and whether they what they do with brandon sheriff um because if they have those two then they're able to go and target their actual needs rather than having to replace the the big holes that those guys would create if they're not there i think tight end is certainly a a possibility that they could look to go after obviously they were in on greg olsen and he had the connections to ron rivera so and that made a lot of sense um they, they could go after one of the top tight ends on the market, like a, an Austin Hooper or a Hunter Henry. Um, the, Those two would certainly come in and, and make a difference and, and play that kind of tight end role that, that they do need. They probably will look to uh, sign a, a corner, maybe two. Um, James Bradbury from the Panthers uh, has obvious connections to the team. Uh, He was drafted and developed by Rivera as a he was the replacement for Josh Norman in Carolina. It could be interesting to see if he'd be the replacement for Josh Norman in Washington. So that mm-hmm. one is a, a link that would make a lot of sense. Uh, a former Redskin, uh, Bashard Breeland, um, would also make sense at corner. He just won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs after leaving the mm-hmm. Redskins, and he initially signed for Rivera with the Panthers before failing a physical and then ending up with the Chiefs. So he, he would make sense as well. They probably need to sign some uh, a linebacker or two at some point because they don't have much depth there um and, and they're switching from th- three-four to a four three so adding a, a linebacker or two would um would help improve the depth there
1: well listen as we go through the off season here i'd love to chat with you again maybe after washington maybe maybe after the draft and we see what washington does there with that number two overall pick once we get through some free agency uh, i would like to to come back and chat with you again to revisit uh what the what the Redskins are doing here this offseason because among the NFL teams, among the, uh, the rebuilding teams, Washington's offseason is among the more fascinating. And obviously, as Eagles fans, we are we are attunely aware of what's going on uh, in the nation's capital. Folks, make sure you are reading Mark Bullock's stuff in The Athletic. Also, follow him on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. Mark, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it
2: was great fun. Thanks. Cheers.
1: When we come back, uh, we'll go over some news and notes. The Eagles uh, making news this week, uh, cutting a longtime linebacker, and uh, more cuts could be on the way. That is all up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Well, the Eagles did something that wasn't too surprising. I think a lot of us saw this coming, and they went ahead and decided not to pick up the option for middle linebacker Nigel Bradham. And I guess we really shouldn't say middle linebacker because the Eagles very infrequently go with three linebackers. Uh, normally it's a, a two-linebacker line two linebacker base set, but Nigel Bradham was undoubtedly the best of the bunch that the Eagles had. So why was it an unsurprising move? Well, for one thing, he was expensive. Uh, by declining his option, the Eagles saved $4.5 million, $5.3 million in dead money, and he hasn't been all that productive these last two seasons. He was great. In the Eagles Super Bowl season of 2017, but injuries and, frankly, unproductivity really hampered him in 2018 and 2019. He had just one interception, and that was on a tipped ball, Uh, had zero forced fumbles over the last two years, and just two sacks in his last 30 games, including the playoffs. He also is not a young player. He turns 31 next year. And so this move makes a lot of sense for the Eagles. They're going to save some cap money here. Um, They're going to get, they're going to move on from a player and hopefully get younger at the linebacker position, more athletic at the linebacker position. This is one of those spots where again, The Eagles don't invest a lot of capital into this position, but it is an important spot on the field. There's a reason you have linebackers, and they obviously need to have at least one or two good ones. And with Bradham going, the depth chart at linebacker is now scarce because Kamu Grugier-Hill is a free agent. More than likely, he's going to sign with another team. And so right now, the Eagles have these four linebackers under contract for 2020. Nate Gary. TJ Edwards, Duke Riley, and Alex Singleton. You obviously are not expecting to put together a Super Bowl caliber defense with those four guys as your top four linebackers. And what's really discouraging about all this is it makes their decision to move on from LJ Fort in the middle of last season like an, it makes it look like an, a monumental error in judgment. And it was a stupid move at the time. Remember, Fort was like the third free agent they targeted last offseason. They got him early in the offseason. They signed him to a three-year deal. They had plans for LJ Fort. And I don't know what was going on inside the room, inside the linebacker room, inside the, the defensive huddles and whatnot going on in training camp. But LJ Fort didn't play a single defensive snap while he was here. I don't know what Jim Schwartz in the defense was thinking. They just kicked him to the curb. He was scooped up by the Baltimore Ravens. He played so well for them, they signed him to a contract extension. Wouldn't you love, love to have LJ Fort on this defense right now? That's water under the bridge. They also got rid of Zach Brown, a guy they signed late last offseason, and he didn't do much while he was here, but I wonder how invested Jim Schwartz was in Zach Brown, given how they handled the LJ Fort situation. And so now where do the Eagles go at linebacker? There's lots of different ways they could go. They certainly could target a linebacker, uh, most likely on day two of the draft. They're not spending their, their first round pick on a linebacker. They could go after a linebacker with their second or third round pick, but they also have a need at cornerback. They also have a need at wide receiver. They also have a need at safety. And the fact that, you know, and they're going to need some, some with a uh, Halapulavati Vitae, leaving in free agency, or likely to leave in free agency, they're going to need a swing, swingman offensive lineman that they might need to find through, through the draft. And so, you know, there's a lot of needs. This team's got a lot of needs. They need to get faster in a lot of different places. They need to get younger in a lot of different places, but they may need to draft a linebacker in the second or third round. It's going to Depend on whatever's there. Obviously, they're taking wh- whoever could reasonably be considered to be the best player available in those spots. But I think that they are going to have to go out and get somebody in free agency uh, to replace Bradham uh, to to replace Bradham and Kamu Grugier-Hill. And there's a few names that are floating around there: Nick Kwiatkowski, AJ Klein, Blake Martinez, Devondre Campbell, Neville Hewitt, Corey Littleton—all guys who are potential free agent fits. That would make some sense for the Eagles. I wrote a piece for bleedinggreennation.com that's out. Uh, where I outlined my 10 predictions uh, for the Eagles offseason, and I predict that they're going to be signing Hewitt to some kind of free agent deal. And, and the main reason that I, I landed on Hewitt is that I don't think he's going to be terribly expensive. I don't think the Eagles want to spend big dollars on the linebacker position. And as we've seen in off-seasons past, Jim Schwartz tends to go with guys he knows, and he has a little bit of a connection to Hewitt. Uh, Hewitt played for defensive line coach Matt Burke back when uh, he was with the Dolphins. You know, it always helps to know a guy, as we've seen with this team. Hewitt uh, played the inside uh, for uh, over the last couple of years, and so um, you're getting a guy who does know how to play inside linebacker in a three-linebacker set. The other big thing is he's only going to be 27 next year. So he's young. He's not an aging veteran linebacker. He's somebody that you're going to be getting, hopefully, on the upswing of his career. He also is coming off the best season of his career last year. He had three sacks, intercepted two passes, and just 12 starts for the Jets this past season. So he was a very good linebacker. He's going to be looking to cash in on a career year. And at 27 years old, his best may be yet to come. He's the guy that I would go after if I were Howie Roseman, but they're gonna need to, they're going to need to do something at the linebacker position in free agency. Now who else could be cut? Nigel Bradham probably won't be the last guy. Malcolm Jenkins is in the final year of his deal. Obviously the two sides were not able to get together on a contract extension during this past offseason or during the regular season. I don't know where the two sides are right now. I don't know if there's acrimony between Howie Roseman and Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm, to his credit, came in and played last year because he wanted to take another run at the Super Bowl. But you can bet he's not coming back to Philadelphia on a hometown discount. They're going to have to come to some kind of arrangement, and the Eagles could decide if they can't get a long-term deal worked out that they could cut Malcolm Jenkins and save $4.8 million, $6.1 million in dead money. Now, that would leave a gaping hole in the secondary. That's another position you'd have to fill. Makes sense to me, you bring Malcolm Jenkins back. He'd be one of the few veterans I'd want to keep because while he's not playing at the level that he played in 2017, he's still a damn good safety. They're going to lose they're probably going to lose um, McLeod in free agency. I would bring Malcolm Jenkins back because he's the quarterback of that defense. I think they need him. He's still effective. He, he never misses a snap. With all the guys on this team who have missed injuries these last few years, Malcolm Jenkins is the one guy who goes out there for every single defensive snap. I think they got to find a way to bring him back, and I think they will. Rizul Douglas could be let go for a little over $2 million and save money. And Sidney Jones is an interesting one. He had a couple nice plays at the end of the year, but otherwise has been a monumental disappointment. He's still young. Do the Eagles hope that they can get another year out of him? And do they, do they see if the confidence he gained at the end of last year, making a few big plays and a few big spots, can act as a springboard for 2020 for him? They might. They'd only save $1.3 million. They're not on the hot seat to move him. So I think he probably stays. I think Rizul Douglas probably goes for $2.1 million. But again, those are not as big a moves as Nigel Bradham and Malcolm Jenkins. Now, the other thing to get into here is we're starting to get into some trade rumor stuff. And I, I want to caution people. Uh, And I have no inside information on the Eagles' thinking on this. This is just my speculation, but I've kind of, you know, watching Howie Roseman work these last few years, knowing what we think the team is looking to do, get younger, and you're paying Carson Wentz a big-money quarterback uh, contract now. So you can't, you don't have as much money to spend on the other positions. you've, You've invested in that quarterback. That bill is due now. And so they don't have a ton of money to throw around which is why I don't think you're going to see them spend their draft capital very much this offseason. I think you might see them have to use a fourth-round pick to try and trade away Alshon Jeffrey, and I think that will happen. But other than that, I don't think they're going to make any big trades. I don't think they're going to move a third-round pick or a second-round pick, and I certainly don't think they're going to move their first-round pick. Even if it's for two of the guys that have been mentioned in trade rumors this last week, with, connect, with connections to the Eagles, and that's Darius Slay, the cornerback for the Lions, and the great wide receiver for the Vikings, Stefan Diggs. Now, I would love, L-O-V-E love, either one of those guys in Philadelphia. They'd be perfect fits. But the cost in money and, and uh, trade capital for Darius Slay and the cost in trade capital for Stefan Diggs, to me, is prohibitive. This team needs its draft picks. They need to to keep as many of these draft picks as they can because they have to supplement this roster with young, cheap talent. It's not like in baseball where all they have is a luxury tax, and you can go over that number if you want to. The NFL has a cap. You have to balance if you're gonna if you're spending big money on the quarterback, you've got to supplement the rest of the roster with the young draft picks that you're making. Now you've gotta you've gotta pick the right guys. That's a that's been an issue with the Eagles. They gotta pick the right guys, but you've gotta trust that your process is right. And when you bring these guys on, now that you have you have coaches in place that can coach these guys up and make them young, cheap, productive players. That's the next evolution with this Philadelphia Eagles team. They can't continue to run out big-money free agents at every position. They don't have the cap space to do it. They have about $40 million in cap space in order to play with it, and that sounds like a lot, but that's like 20th in the NFL. So there's a lot of teams that are going to be bidding for a lot of these free agents, and they need to hold on to to these draft picks as much as they can, which is why I don't see them giving up a third round pick for Darius Slay, who's in the final year of his deal. He's gonna, he's entering his 30s. You're not only gonna need to give up a, a third rounder to get him, you're gonna have to sign him to a long term an expensive long term deal. That's a double whammy to me. Stefan Diggs makes a little bit more sense because he's already signed to a four year deal. You know, you don't have to come up with a new contract for him, but you're gonna have to give up your first rounder for Stefan Diggs. Now, Diggs has four years remaining on his deal. Which is great. He's making I think it's uh what is it, fourteen and a half million dollars? That he has a fourteen and a half million dollar cap hit in twenty twenty, so he's expensive. But he did have sixty-three catches for eleven hundred and thirty yards last year, six touchdowns. It seems like all of them were against the Eagles in that one Minnesota game. Uh he has over a thousand receiving yards and fifteen combined touchdowns in the past two over the past two years with the Vikings. He has the fifth most touchdowns in the NFL since twenty seventeen. Only DeAndre Hopkins, Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Antonio Brown have caught more in that t- in that same time span. Tells you a little bit about how good Antonio Brown is that he's still on that list, having missed all of last year. But if you're going to get Stephon Diggs, you got to give up your number one pick. Now, at the end of the day, maybe that's all right with you, because if the if you're looking for the Eagles to draft a number one wide receiver, then you just get Stephon Diggs, and that's an easy swap. Here's the problem: the money. That's fourteen and a half million dollars versus how much does a first-round draft pick a wide receiver? How much is that guy going to get? You know, uh, ten million dollars less than that. You know, it's they they have to be they have to be smart with their money. And fourteen and a half million dollars is a reasonable price to pay for Stephon Diggs, all things being equal. But all things are not equal here. The Eagles don't have all the money in the world to spend, and I don't think they are going to spend that draft capital and use up that salary space. To trade for Stephon Diggs, it's also why I don't think they're going to sign Amari Cooper. I think they have I think they have enough salary cap space to go big on one big free agent, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be uh, the the cornerback from Dallas, Byron Jones. I think that's a better fit for the for the Eagles. I think that's where you're going to get your starting cornerback next year, rather than getting a starter through the draft. You're probably going to have to to sign a starting cornerback and Byron Jones is the is the guy that I would spend big money on this offseason but um you're going to hear a lot of Darius Slay and Stephon Diggs rumors leading up to the draft and um certainly the Eagles will be connected to both of those guys I personally don't see it happening but Who's to say? It could very well end up going down that way. And listen, if they get Slay and they get Diggs, and I'm going to assume they have a plan to fill out the rest of the roster, and I will be thrilled if they land one of those guys. I'm just saying, do not expect it, guys. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Mark Bullock from The Athletic for coming on and talking to me about his Washington Redskins. Folks, if you haven't done so yet, please uh, go on to Apple Podcasts and leave a a five-star rating and a review for this podcast, Eye on the Enemy. Let us know what you think, Um, anything uh, you'd like to see us talk about over these uh, next few weeks during the offseason, any particular uh, areas of interest. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and uh, let us know uh, what you want us to do, what you think of the podcast. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I will talk to you all next time here on Eye on the Enemy. P.G.N.